song unrehearsed. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome our visitors. have some that are uh, awful special to me here this morning. My grandson and his family are, uh, are with us. And we're glad to have them. Uh, the only announcements we have this morning are a couple of mess-ups on my part. You know, there's something wrong with the Bolton every week. This week... Uh, just as soon as I'd finished running all 50 copies of them last night, Wilma pointed out, uh, did you know you got the wrong uh, wrong title for this first song? 
So we will not be opening with Hear the Bells this morning. We're going to uh, take Laura's request and do uh, Ring the Bells this morning. Where's Laura? There she is. Do we have any birthdays this weekend? Laverne, anybody else? I want to remember Leroy. He's kind of hard to forget. It is, isn't it? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Anniversary. Nobody had a Christmas wedding, huh? Okay, then let's uh, let's continue to praise the Lord this morning with uh, number two hundred three. Ring the bells. <laughs> Sad please.
Our Father and God, we thank you so much, Lord, for this beautiful day, for the privilege we have to be here in your house. Lord, we continue to worship and rejoice in this Christmas season. Lord, we are so thankful that you decided to come to be our Savior, to be born among us, to walk among us, to defeat sin, death, hell and the grave. Lord, without you we are nothing, but with you all things are possible. This morning, Lord, we ask that you touch every heart, that you draw us closer to you, that you open more of our spiritual eyes, of our spiritual mind, to learn a little more of your love, your mercy, and your grace, and then help us to use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. As we uh, ready our hearts and minds for the for the Lord's Supper this morning, we'd like to ask Mike Higgins to bring us our uh, communion meditation. The title of the reading this morning is His Favorite Song of All. I know if most of you, if you're like me, you got us not just one favorite song, but you have many. And the song, Favorite Song of All by Phillips, Craig, and Dean, is a great worship song. The song was going through my head, and it dawned on me how true and biblical these lyrics are. God really does want all of creation to praise him. And Isaiah wrote in chapter 55 that the mountains should sing and the trees should clap their hands. And King David wrote in Psalms 98 that he thought the river and seas should join in with the clapping. And if God loves loves for mountains and trees and rivers and the seas to give him praise and worship, How much more does he love for us to worship him? It's great to come home from work to be greeted by your family and hear them say, Daddy, Daddy, glad you're home. It's heartwarming to get a hug and hear about about wonderful things. And sometimes the youngest children are hard to understand, 
but a father generally can sense what his child is trying to communicate and just enjoy the energy and affection he receive otherwise. Likewise, God is not just captured by the melodies and harmonies that catch his attention or clever lines and and praises that uh, causes him to stop and listen. But when the heart of every believer who's been set free, who recognized the price and paid for that freedom begins to sing that song God most loves to hear. Let's do that now, even as the communion bread and cup as we take this morning. Let us worship him together, singing out and telling him how wonderful he is. Let us pray. Father, we acknowledge your power. We acknowledge your creation. We acknowledge your son as we celebrate the coming of his birth as he was born there in a manger. Father, let's remember as we take of these emblems this morning, this loaf and this cup representing our Lord and Savior's broken body and the blood that he shed upon Calvary's cross, that dear Lord, he done everything for us. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just sit quietly for a moment. Just opening our hearts to God, just one on one, you or me and Jesus. When Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal, Jesus took the loaf and blessed it and broke it, passed it among them, saying, This is my body broken for you. Eat ye of it. Likewise, the cup. After they had eaten, Jesus took it and giving thanks, passed it among them, saying, This is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Drink of it, all of you. stand for the doxology.
Number 197 is our uh, our next hymn this morning. While shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground. 197. While shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, the angel of the Lord came down and glory shone around, and glory shone around. Two hundred, old little town of Bethlehem.
seated. And another mistake in the bulletin, of course, we uh, failed to list Renee as our next soloist. So if you're ready, my dear. Did you know that your baby boy 
is heaven's perfect lamb this child that is sleeping you're holding is the great I am Mary did you Morning. morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? Oh. I'm enjoying these good songs. Well, you know, as we uh, are finishing up the book of Matthew this morning, we're talking about the Great Commission. And you think about the Great Commission and you think about this time of year. It all kinds of it, it all ties together. It all goes together. You know, we sing one Christmas song that says, Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. What are you doing when you do that? You're fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what we're that's what we're doing. When we talk about the birth of Christ. That should also lead to the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Because you can't separate his life into segments. It all goes together. Through his life, through his death, through his burial and his resurrection. That all comes together when we put faith in that. When we believe that what he did, when he completed that, that he really did fulfill all that was necessary to pay off the debt for my sin and for yours. That is the meaning of the Great Commission. Sharing with folks what he did and the significance of it. I'm going to go ahead and read this uh, last pericope in the uh, book of Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age, to the very end of the age. Even more emphasis put on that. He is with us always. He promised, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. But he starts off here, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now, if you remember, that was the message that he had given to the women when they came back to the tomb and they met the angel. And then as they were on their way, Jesus himself appeared to, to them and he gave them this message to give to the disciples. 
And apparently, not only did they tell them to go into Galilee, but a specific place, a very mountain that they were to go and meet Jesus at. So it says they went to that mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now that next phrase causes some problem, doesn't it? It says, but some doubted. (laughs) We're talking about the 11 disciples here. You know, Judas is already gone at this point, so there's only 11 left. And so here, they are going to see Jesus. He had prearranged through the women who had seen the angel, or angels, and then they met him personally, and they delivered this message to them to tell them where he would meet them. And then they get there, and some of them still doubt. Huh. I wonder who that could be describing. Anybody got a clue? (laughs) Don't we have doubts sometimes when things get hard, when things get tough, when we don't get good news that we want to hear about something? Don't we begin to wonder, where are you, God? Don't we begin to have a few doubts about, well, shoot, I thought he was going to make my life all easy and I wasn't going to have any problems. And, you know, those are lives from the pit of hell, by the way. I I challenge anyone to show me in the Word of God where it says that God promised we'll never have any trouble. Because it, in fact, says the very opposite of that. It says that those who will live a righteous and holy and godly life, those who will live for Jesus Christ, will suffer persecution. That's what it says, folks. Those are his words, not mine. And they're true. At the same time, I can still understand their doubt. They saw him die. I mean, they watched. And even though they got this message, and even though they went and saw the empty tomb, some of them may be thinking, yes, how do we know this is him, though? He said he would meet us here, but how do we know? Because the devil's crafty. He's tricky. He can appear as an angel of light. How do we know that he's not tricking us? But I think that after Jesus began to speak, all doubts went away. When Christ speaks to us, when he speaks to our hearts, when we are going through those tough times, when we are having those challenges in life, regardless of whether it's a loss of a loved one or a loss of whatever, or or just a challenge of some kind that seems so hard, then our minds just can't wrap around it. When we pray about it and, and we ask God, and then when he begins to speak, instantly, all the doubt goes away. It's like... God's got it. I can trust him. He's got it. I can let go. He said he's got it. Ever been there? Know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, I know I've shared this many times, but uh, when I got chicken pox for the second time as an adult, got it from my kids while they were sick, and and I was in the hospital, and, and the doctor... You know, they, they, they called in this specialist, uh, some kind of lung doctor specialist. And anyway, he, he gave me some kind of medication that he said he'd had some luck with. And uh, it was a real strong antibiotic. And he said, we'll try this. He said, but 
I will tell you this. He said, everybody uh, that's had this, because it was, a, it was an epidemic of, 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 of sorts, and there had been many people who, as adults, were getting chicken pox, this particular uh, strand, a second time. Most of them had died, and he said the ones that didn't die had either had a stroke or a heart attack, and they were not the same when they woke up. He said, so I'm going to give you this. He said, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you. He said, you need to settle things with your family just in case. And he said, and even if you do live, you might not be the same when you come out of this. And then the nurse comes in and you know, gets me all fixed up with all the IVs and all this stuff, tucks me in and says, get a good night's sleep. I did. I talked to God, and I, it was just peaceful. All of a sudden, it was just peaceful. I went sound asleep, woke up, and some people may say I didn't come back normal, but I'm as normal as I was before, let's put it that way. <laughs> and the doctor himself said it's a miracle. When God tells you he's got it, means it. He's got it. We can trust him. We can trust him. And this is another thing where God says, I've got it. You go and make disciples, but I got it. I've got it. You know, we were talking even this morning in Sunday school a little bit about this. Everybody seems to get upset and worried that, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to win somebody for Jesus. I don't, you know, I, even though I talk to, G, to people about Jesus, I've never had anybody say, yeah, I want to become a Christian. Or, or if they did, you know, it's just kind of remarkable to me because I, I really, you know, m- most of us think that it's up to us to win a soul for Jesus. It is not. Nowhere does Jesus tell you or I that we can change a soul. Nowhere does he say it's our responsibility to win a soul for Jesus. All he says is go and tell them about me. Make an introduction of who I am. And then it's between me and them at that point. All you do is tell them about me. And then I will send my Holy Spirit to work on them. That's what the Great Commission is all about. He's saying, go and tell. Go and, when he says, go and make a disciple, first of all, we have to understand what is a disciple. A disciple is one who is taught. So, in other words, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to give people the correct information so that they can make an informed decision instead of a decision based on the lies that they've heard from the pit of hell. When people hear the truth versus all the lies, it does something to them. You know, when, when you hear the truth in a situation, it always rings true. There's always an element in you that goes, hmm, you know, that's not what I heard before, but that sounds right. And then you begin to dig. If you're willing to take the time to dig... Even in the word of God, 
you will always find the answer that you need. Always. But if we're unwilling, if we're slothful and lazy, and we don't take the time to dig and to find the truth, well, we'll always have a problem. It'll never be settled. And the devil will use that to his advantage every time. In fact, he's the one who offered us alternatives to looking up and finding the answer for ourselves in the first place. He keeps you away. But when Jesus begins to speak, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, he had told them this once before. So when he began to speak, I imagine the doubt was removed. Oh, yeah, this is him. (laughs) Because Jesus was always known to speak with authority anyway. And so when he began this line saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, they would have been, yep, (laughs) that's my Lord. But then he gives the commission after he says that. He bases this commission on the fact that he has the authority And he gives that authority to you and to me to use on his behalf. That's why we are called ambassadors for Jesus Christ. An ambassador. You think of an ambassador to another country. Or an ambassador from this country going to another country. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador is a representative of the one who sent them. They are given a message to share and the authority to share it and an authority to make certain decisions. But after that, you don't go past that because then you have to go back to the one who sent you to get the answers you need for other issues. But he has given us authority to go and make disciples. He has not given us authority to change a soul. He has not given us the authority to change the message. Unfortunately, some people today have done that. They have changed the message. But he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Wow, that's a big job when you think about it. It's a big job. So basically what he's saying is for us to go and tell people who I am. Go tell people who I am. And then the ones who are interested in wanting to know more, bring them aside. Tell them that in order for them to be my disciple, they need to accept the fact that they are sinners that they have sinned against me and against my father. They need to confess that sinfulness. And then they need to repent. In other words, they need to decide, hey, I want you more than I want all this. And I'm going to follow you instead of all of the world has to offer. I'm going to follow you instead of all these things and, and, and all of this stuff. I'm going to get rid of all this stuff out of my life, all these things out of my life that are useless, that do me no good, and I'm going to follow you. Amen. And he says, 
When they do that, baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, there are people who want to argue. Oh, it doesn't say baptize them in the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. It says baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's see. Yahweh, Yahshua, Holy Spirit. How's that? Does it make a difference? No, it doesn't. You're just using a different language. They said, well, the name of all of them is Jesus. I'm sorry. Jesus has a name. The Father has a name. And for all we know, the Holy Spirit may have a separate name. We just haven't been told yet. But I do what it says. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just like it says it. I'm not going to add to or remove from what God said. So for those who are hung up on that, get over it. (laughs) Mind what the Bible says, not what your pastor said or what some book said. Do what this book says because this is the one we're judged on. And it says then after you've done that, teach them to obey everything that I commanded you. In other words, they become a mini-me. And I'm to mentor them. I'm to grow them. I'm to take them as a baby, bottle feed them until they're ready to eat meat, and then start giving them meat and, and bring them up in the Lord, teaching them the word of God, teaching them to obey what Jesus said. And we know what he said because we have it written down. Now, is this everything? No, it's not. But there's a... There's a scripture in Deuteronomy that tells us the secret things belong to God. In other words, there's things we're not supposed to know. Guess what would happen if you and I knew everything that God knows? We would be God. <laughs> we would be God. If we, if we were his equal, we would be him. And we will never be his equal. We will never be him. So there's always going to be things that we don't know And that's where faith comes in. What we don't know, we have to trust based on what we do know. When he says to go and make disciples, we should not fear that process. Because everything that God calls you to do, he also equips you to do. We have to trust that. We have to believe that. And we have to go and obey what he says. It's that simple, folks. But the devil will convince us, oh, you don't speak right. I mean, what did Moses say? Oh, I've got a speech impediment, Lord. You know, I can't go do this. I need somebody to go with me to be the speaker. Who made your tongue? Well, you did, but (laughs) I still need somebody to do it for me. I'm just not a good speaker. I get all tongue-tied, and I can't do it. And God allowed that. He wasn't happy about it, but he allowed it. But that was an exception, not the rule. So don't get any ideas. (laughs) He tells you, he tells me, he tells every disciple this great commission. Go and make disciples. And you know what? If you win someone to the Lord by presenting them and introducing them to the Lord and, and they show an interest and they decide they want to become one of, of Jesus' disciples themselves, I'll even let you baptize them if you want to because that's what it says. 
There is no magic formula about who does baptisms as long as you're a believer. It doesn't have to be the preacher. It can be any believer can baptize. All you got to do is just do it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've let many parents baptize their own children. It's a beautiful thing to see, too. There is nothing like watching a father baptize his children into Jesus. It is a beautiful thing. We, unfortunately, over the years, seem to have forgotten about what the Great Commission is of the church. Look around you. You see any empty seats? There's room for more, right? And up there, there's always room for more, just, just like jello, you know? There's always room for more. <laughs> uh, so, he gave us a job to do, plain and simple. This is the job of the church. Go and make disciples. That's the only job we have. He didn't say make beautiful programs. He didn't say to have a beautiful service, a wonderful uh, service, and, and make beautiful music. And although those things are, are pluses, okay, they're not the main function. The main function is to go and make disciples. But we have got sidetracked. We got so busy with making beautiful buildings and, and, and beautiful this and beautiful that and, 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 and praiseworthy this and praiseworthy that. I mean, I, I tell you what, there's some, there's some church services that you can watch on, on the Internet or even sometimes on the television. And when you watch that program, you're like, wow, that was awesome. That's great. As long as they don't forget the rest. I've seen church services that make some television shows otherwise just look sick and puny. It's like, and you guys didn't spend enough money. They got it. (laughs) But that is only part of the game. If that is used as a tool to reach others, fantastic. But if it becomes the main focus and you forget about the hearts and the minds and the souls of people, then the church has got sidetracked. We often argue about simple things like the color of drapes and the color of, uh, of the pews and the coloring of the carpet and what kind of floor and what kind of this and what kind of that and what color of this and what color of that. Let me ask you something. How does any of that come to amount to winning a soul for Jesus? What difference does it make? If the church was a cardboard box, it wouldn't matter because it's just a building. This is the church right here. We've got to keep that in mind, folks. We have to remember It's not about the buildings. It's not about the programs. All of those things are great tools. But that's all they are. They're tools. The goal is to get the heart of others to surrender to Jesus Christ. To make the introduction. Because that's all that matters. And when we stand before Jesus... We want to hear him say, what? Well done, done, good and faithful servant. 
What did the men with the talents do? The ones that heard that praise from their master were the ones who invested it and multiplied it. But the one who took and just buried and hid the talent he had and then gave it back to the Lord, he said, take it from him and give it to the one who multiplied the most. He's given us all a portion of faith. And he told us to go and make disciples. How are we doing? If you have a need, just mind the Lord and come. Brother Buff. Our invitation hymn this morning is number 364. The Savior is waiting. Let's stand and sing. Brother Mitch? No Bible study tonight. Don't forget. <laughs>